When our kids were little, one of them had a little stuffed animal fox named Fanny. Fanny went everywhere with us. She was well-loved, so loved, in fact, she had love marks where her fur was worn away from cuddling. One time, our family and Fanny were on a road trip. We ate dinner at a restaurant and had a great time until later that night we were packing up our belongings to drive home and we realized, to our horror, Fanny was not there. She must have been left at the restaurant. I looked at the clock, seven minutes before closing. I called the place, pleaded with them to remain open because it was a good 20-minute drive until we could get there and reclaim Fanny. Thankfully, they accommodated us, but I'll admit, even if Fanny had not been discovered until we were an hour away, we would have driven back for her. For our family and for one member in particular, Fanny was worth it. The longing to be worth it is deep within each of us. Male, female, young, old, single, married. We all long to be worth it. And unfortunately, in many of our interactions with others, we are only worth it if we can pull our weight, if we can make ourselves indispensable, marketable. In other words, we have to earn it. And the church isn't always that different. Some leaders look at their people and consider some more worth it than others. The ones who are raised in the church or contributing, the ones volunteering or leading programs. But what about the one who was lost during the sermon because they didn't grow up in the church? What about the one who's sort of half-hearted, here one week, then gone for six? How are we to view them? Jesus was actually asked this question, Matthew 18.1. The disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest? And to their surprise, Jesus took a child and placed her in their midst and said, unless you become like a little child, you will never enter my kingdom. And he went on to explain that those with low status and position get an upgrade when they join Jesus' community. Each person matters to God. And to further make this point, Jesus told a story. Now, it's a short story, and it's one that's always bothered me. Let me read it, and perhaps you'll see why. Matthew 18, verses 10 to 14. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep, the average size flock in Palestine, and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any one of these little ones should perish. Now, honestly, this story is a bit sus. I mean, what kind of shepherd leaves 99 sheep just to go off looking for the one? If this shepherd were an early childhood educator, he'd lose his job. And why is he so happy when he finds that one? Shouldn't he be just as happy times 99 with the whole flock who stayed and never wandered? 
As you may know, this is a parable. And parables were stories told to make a point. And this particular story seems to be making a point that however the shepherd in this story is acting is how God acts. Verse 14, in the same way, your father. This is one of those how much more stories. Meaning, if the person in the story is like this, how much more your father in heaven? Now, in order for us to understand what God is really like, we must answer three questions about this passage. Who, what, and why? We're going to take the questions one at a time. First, who are the little ones Jesus is referencing? The answer affects our understanding of the shepherd's actions. Are the little ones people outside the community of faith or inside it? Before studying this passage, I would have said it's people outside the community of faith, non-Christians. I think I would have said that because Jesus tells a very similar story on a different occasion in Luke chapter 15, verses 1 to 5. There, his story is prompted by an accusation of the Pharisees that he's hanging out too much with the wrong crowd, welcoming sinners and eating with them. So Jesus tells a story, three in fact, about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son, the prodigal son, all to make his point that the father rejoices greatly when someone who was lost outside the community of faith finally comes home. But in Matthew 18, verses 10 to 14, Jesus is telling a similar story in a different occasion. He's making a different point. And here Jesus' emphasis is on the little ones. We're not to despise. We have to look at the context to see who that is. And that starts in verses 3 to 5, where Jesus has a child serve as an object lesson, not to seek status or position, but then he shifts the phrase in verse 6 to little ones. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, and then he uses that same phrase in Matthew 10, 42, and if anyone gives a cup of cold water to one of these little ones, who is my disciple, did you catch that? These little ones aren't non-Christians who need to know Jesus. They're Jesus' followers, young in the faith, either new to it or not yet all in, or perhaps a bit more vulnerable. The sheep is not lost, as in one who has not yet come into the fold. It's one of the fold who got distracted, wandered off. When he looked up to find the flock, they'd all moved on. Or maybe he thought the grass really was greener on the other side. Or maybe he got bored, or he had a bad experience with another sheep. For whatever the reason, unintentional or intentional, this sheep has wandered off. And right now, it's in danger. You've seen those nature movies, right? The predators are always going after the one lone animal off by itself, apart from the safety of others. Sheep don't have claws to defend themselves. They can't sniff their way back to the flock. So what's a shepherd to do? Here's the second question. If the little ones here are fellow believers who have wandered off, what is the action the shepherd takes regarding them? How does he treat them? And here's our problem. Because from a purely pragmatic, logical, mathematical, statistical standpoint, 
This shepherd should cut his losses and hunker down for the night. It's too bad I lost one. I still have 99. 99 out of 100 ain't bad. It's his fault for wandering off anyways. I told him to stay close. If we think that, we underestimate Jesus. He's not ruled by statistics. He's not satisfied with a majority. The language takes great care to emphasize he's not content with just one missing, even though by all accounts, he should be. He's got 99. He asks the question rhetorically, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go look for the one? This shepherd will risk all that he has to find this one who has wandered off. He is not nonchalant about it. He is not ambivalent. The one statistically insignificant wanderer means everything to this shepherd. Instead of despising the little ones, youngins in the faith, Jesus is, as one writer says, converting us to the mentality of the one, to the importance of the statistically unimportant. Our God, the good shepherd, is not passive when other believers wander off the beaten path. He doesn't just sit around waiting for people to get their lives together. He takes the initiative. He launches a search and rescue operation, often at great cost to himself. Like when you have a lost pet in the middle of the night in a very cold Minnesota winter, and the streets are icy, and your husband hops on a bike to try to catch that little rascal and slips on the ice, cutting himself because he knows his children will be brokenhearted if anything happens to their new dog. Hypothetically speaking, of course. But Jesus is saying, how much more does the good shepherd feel towards his beloved sheep? He wants them to be safe. He wants them back with the flock. So we've asked who are these little ones and what the shepherd does, but why? Why does it matter that the shepherd goes after the one who wandered off and in so doing endangers the remaining 99? Isn't that irresponsible? How is that admirable? Jesus' brilliant storyteller that he is told the story so that the very part that bothers us is the very part we are to remember. He could have told a story that involved less risk, where the shepherd notices the missing sheep back at the village, leaves the sheep securely in the sheepfold attached to the house. But Jesus' story has the shepherd leaving the 99 on the hills. Why this element of willingness to risk so, is so crucial to the meaning? One missionary in the Middle East speculates, by going after the one, Jesus gave the herd boundless security in that each one of them knew, if I get lost, he will come after me. A failure to go after the one would leave the same 99 with the ultimate insecurity of realizing, if I get lost, he'll leave me out to die. Yes, there was risk involved, but undeserved, costly love was given to the one, thereby assured for the many. This same missionary tells a story of being aboard a ship in 1942, where American missionary families were being evacuated from an approaching German army. Late one night, one deckhand fell overboard, 
The ship was in range of German submarines, so was seeking to remain hidden by keeping their lights off. But their captain made a very bold decision to turn on the ship's spotlight for a moment, steer the ship in a circle, and found the man sputtering in the water, saving his life. Now, I imagine that captain's crew was forever dedicated to him, knowing that had that been them, he wouldn't have left them behind. The very risk that puts others in harm's way and bothers us is the very way in which the shepherd's commitment to and love for each sheep is more fully revealed. Now, and here is what I wish someone had told me when I was a kid, <laughs> because this is God we're talking about. This need not be a real tension. Parables have a point, and Jesus has made his. Each one matters to God, especially those newer to the faith. We're not really to focus on the 99. Because this is almighty God, care for one sheep does not preclude care for the other sheep. He can actually manage to provide the same level of care for all 100 at the same time. And while Jesus provides very sparse details about this in his story, one can imagine, especially in the first century ancient Near East, that the shepherd either left the sheep in some safe enclosure, a cave with a stone rolled in front, or under a dog's protection, or more likely, under the care of another shepherd, since a flock this size likely had numerous shepherds. The point is, to the extent that the shepherd seeking one endangers the 99, we are not to be concerned. He is able to care for all. But to the extent that we are alarmed, he would take such drastic measures for the one when he has another 99, we are to be affected. We are that worth it. We are that of value. It's dangerous out there, and he's not willing that any one of his little ones should perish. Jesus is seeking to impact us in two ways with this story. From the perspective of the one and the 99, for the one. Do you know what it's like to wander off? You look up and you're not where you're supposed to be. Isn't it good to know Jesus will come looking for you? You may feel insignificant like you slow down everybody else on the journey, but Jesus is not transactional in relationships. You matter to God. He's our tender shepherd. He has an obsession with you. Yeah, he's got 99, but he will still launch an all-out rescue operation to bring you back. You're that worth it to him. Will you let him find you? Verse 13 introduces a hint of uncertainty. If he finds it, the sheep has to want to be found. When the shepherd's out searching for him, he's got to bleat so that the shepherd can locate him. He's got to allow the shepherd to gently scoop him close rather than kicking and flailing his little sheep legs. As life resumes much of what it was pre-COVID, maybe some of you have this inkling or desire to change your priorities, to make faith or prayer or reading the Bible or developing stronger relationships with other Christians a bigger priority. Maybe, in fact, those nudges you're sensing are the tender calls of your shepherd, 
seeking you, inviting you back? Will you let yourself be found by him? And then for the 99, if this story exists to show us what God is like, and we are to model our behavior after him, then who in our flock needs sought after? Do lost, peripheral, insignificant, maybe even disobedient people in our church have any sense that God really cares about them or seeking them or that we do? Who do you hear bleeding out in the distance who might benefit from someone coming after them to help them? I'm not necessarily talking about church attendance, though that could be an indication. I'm talking about staying connected to the Good Shepherd. If you know someone who may have wandered off, either from the hardship of this year or otherwise, how might you gently seek after them? Maybe it's a phone call, a text, a coffee, a walk, a prayer uttered on their behalf. But I don't want to offend or guilt them. Trust me, I do this for a living. I contact people regularly. Haven't seen you in a while. Are you okay? Is there anything we can do for you? And for the most part, if you genuinely care about someone, people are actually glad you noticed they were gone. If you have relationship with someone, and if you truly care about them staying connected to Jesus, then follow Jesus' example and go look for them. Well, what if they don't come back or respond, Amy? That's on them. Remember where to go seeking, not sheep napping. The sheep's freedom is preserved. Freedom in that the shepherd doesn't lock the sheep in cages and throw them some hay. He lets them wander the hills and the grasses. And freedom in that when they do eventually wander off, he goes after them. He doesn't force them to accompany him. They must want to be found. My fellow sheep, we are prone to wander. But thankfully, mercifully, we have a God who sees significance in the statistically insignificant. This parable leaves no doubt about what our good shepherd will do when one of his sheep has wandered off. The only question is, how will you and I respond to his calling? And will we follow him in seeking after the ones who have gone astray? Let's pray. What a beautiful image you have given us, Jesus, our good, tender shepherd. In just a few words, you gave us this gift of knowing deep in our bones we are that worth it to you. And those we see in this room and in this community are that worth it to you, whether it seems like they're pulling their weight or not. Would you help us be found by you? Would you help us hear the bleats of those around us? Lead us in your path of righteousness, for when you are our shepherd, we do not want. May it be so. In Jesus' name, amen.